Reading from God's Word, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received great apostleship to bring about the obedience of for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be the saints, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house this morning. We thank you for the love that you show us. And we thank you for Paul and his, his writing here. And we just ask that you would just be with us this morning, that you would be with Pastor as he brings the word. And as he speaks from Romans over the next several months, that you would speak clearly the words that are set down here, your word. And we just ask you to be with each and every aspect of this service, be with each and every person that um, we may be walking into these doors with heavy hearts. We just ask you to just clear our minds and our hearts that you would be able to speak to us and help us to learn your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And please do take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We began last week with an overview of the entire book. And I recommend that if you were not able to hear that message, that you get the CD or else go to our website and listen to it. It was very intentional that we spent some time, not in the first few verses of Romans, but doing an overview of the entire book to give you the setting specifically of why the Apostle Paul wrote this book, which is going to be very helpful as we go through it. Um, you almost need to go to the end of the book to understand why we have this, all this stuff in the beginning. And so I'd recommend highly that you go back and get that message, um, if possible, to help set you up well for this. Gordy mentioned in his prayer that we're going to be uh, several months in this, and that is my intention. And um, I've been looking forward to this, and hopefully it's going to be a blessing to us as we are affirmed um, in our own personal faith, but then also see, I think, what the, one of the most um, um, helpful or one of the most powerful tools of the devil is in how he attacks us, and that is division in the church. I wanted to share with you an email I got yesterday, and I want to see how discerning you might be as I give you this email. Because I was looking at it, and I was wondering about the credibility of it, because I had not received an email from this address before. Let me read you the email and you let me know, just kind of do a little test in your mind if you think this is a credible one or not. Dear customer, for your security, access to your account has been restricted in order to safeguard your information. We can, you can regain access instantly by complete our account verification process 
in order to restore full access. Please review and reconfirm your account information. Your protection is important to us. Kindly click on the link below to review and update your account information. And there's a place where I can click on right there. Very convenient. It says, note, failure, spelled F-A-I-L-U-E-R, to resolve this might lead to a total suspension of account. Now, you're an intelligent-looking group. How many of you thought that I clicked on the attachment in that email? I did not. In fact, I wanted to print this off, and I had to do something, and I thought I accidentally clicked on it and got a little bit nervous for a while there. But thankfully, I did not. When we talk about credibility, there are some red flags, aren't there? I mean, I know I've sent a message out before with a misspelled word in it, and I, I, I'm, I, I hate doing that. I hate get, getting a, or giving a message with a misspelled word. But this is professional, right, or supposed to be. And when you get something like that, it doesn't take us too long to figure out that it does not hold any real credibility, As we look into the book of Romans today, what we'll see is that God is credible. He's credible to both the Jews and the Gentiles, and that's what the Christians at Rome were made up of. And his beautiful plan from the beginning was to join together the most unlikely group of people. I'm going to ask you to try to apply this to our day today. Sometimes we'll go into churches, and it's the most unlikely group of people that are mixing together. His plan was also to give those people a place where they belong. We know on the other side of heaven, we're not going to feel out of place at all. But one of the most important things that people in this world are looking for is somewhere to belong. This is a message that so many of our youth are longing for. And also, we know that God is going to empower these people to work together for not only a common goal, but a worthy goal, something that is worth the energy, something that is worth the commitment, the finances, the prayers. All that to bring us to Romans chapter 1. If you are a note taker, I'm going to give some pretty uh, easy to follow notes today, and they'll be, the points will be on the screen, but... A good test of when you've been through some kind of a study in the Bible is the question, what was it about today? So if you see somebody or talk to somebody in your family that was at church, you might ask them, what was the sermon about today? And I would invite you to make yourself accountable to that question. means you've got to pay attention, right? I've got to do my job too up here. What was the message about today? Well, if you like pictures and you've got a little space to write a a note, I would encourage you to write the word gospel somewhere in the middle and then be able to write some spokes off of that because the message is going to be about the gospel and then we're going to see five different spokes that go off of that word The gospel. So if someone says, what was the sermon about? You can say the gospel, and they might doubt you. They might say, that's kind of broad. That's like saying Jesus, you know. But I promise you that we'll get a little bit more specific with these spokes about the gospel. All right, Gordy read for us these first seven verses, and we're going to cover these today. One sentence is all we're getting in today. If your Bible is like mine, you will find about nine commas, One colon and one period. 
So this greeting that the Apostle Paul gives to the believers at Rome, it starts out with this one long, my, my seventh grade English teacher would say run on sentence is what he would have criticized me for here. And Roman begins with a greeting Romans begins with a greeting. The Apostle Paul goes to greet them, and he wants, to, he wants to give two messages right off the bat. And I don't want us to rush past those because I think they're beautiful applications for us today. In fact, they might even stifle some arguments that some people who think they have something worth fighting about have because it kind of gives two points. When we look at the Apostle Paul's greeting, in verse number one, we see where he describes himself first as a servant. Paul first says, I am a servant. And the idea here is, is that Paul has chosen to be a certain kind of person. I looked in six different versions, and the word servant is in all of them except for one. I found one version that uses the word slave. When we think of the word slave... We think of something that is um, just this horrific picture of slavery in America. And we need to understand that when this was written, that picture of slavery was not the same as we might think of it today. The picture that's given is of a bond slave or a bond servant, which is the idea that someone was a slave for years, and then they were given the opportunity possibly to go free, but they chose to stay with this master and voluntarily serve them, be their servant for the rest of their life. That's the picture that Paul is giving. I know it's hard for us to erase that picture of slavery, which is a horrible thing, and I'm so glad we don't have it today. But so many of the world back then um, were slaves. Many professionals were slaves. Many people got themselves into debt where they couldn't get out, and so they had to go into slavery until they got out. And there would be a time to be released quite often, But the picture that Paul gives right off the bat is, I am choosing to be a bondservant to Jesus Christ. And that's beautiful. And there will be a challenge for us today that you choose not just to have God or Jesus as something of your life, but for everything about your life to revolve around him. And then it also says in verse number one, another description, it says, set apart for the gospel. And so we know that Paul chose to be a bondservant, but then we also see here that Paul was chosen and specifically chosen for the ministry of the gospel. It is correct to say that Paul was set apart in a unique way. That's that's fair. We can see that, the um, apostle to the Gentiles, and it's beautiful what God does with him. But I want to go ahead and press that just a little bit to see if we can make that work in our own lives. Can you make that work in your life that you have been chosen to have the gospel be central in your life in that it goes out to others, set apart for the gospel? I want to suggest to us today that we have been chosen for something very, very similar. And so for the Apostle Paul, as he begins, and for you and I, It basically says we are to respond to God's love by voluntarily giving our lives. And we respond to being chosen by God by one who is motivated by the gospel. So since God chose us, then I am motivated to not keep this within my own life. I have to share this. In fact, that's the reason why he saved me, for his glory 
and then I'm part of this group that's supposed to share this. Or simply put, we come to Christ and we go for Christ. If you're taking notes, that's a little easier to put down. We come to Christ and we go for Christ. This is how the Apostle Paul describes himself. Now, if you look hard enough in the next few verses, you'll actually see what's a fairly decent outline of the entire book. These different spokes that are going to go out from the gospel, um, these are things that we will talk about more. But the first one, for our purposes today, the first one is this. And I'm using a negative in my main point. Hopefully that doesn't throw you off. I think it's appropriate because of the attack that this gets so often from many, many groups. Point number one, the gospel is not plan B. So all these revolve around the gospel. We need to understand that the gospel is not something that God had to figure out because his previous plans that were set didn't quite work out for him. We spend time learning about the Old Testament stories, Abraham, Moses taking those people out of slavery, David. All these people are Hebrews. And when we look at this idea of the gospel, and specifically this church in Rome, we know that that's not what it looked like. This message of grace and forgiveness to all peoples can be traced all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15 where it acknowledges the sin that has come into the world and right away God makes a plan for man to once again be reunited, have fellowship with God. And in Genesis 3.15, that's where we trace God's ultimate plan back to. The gospel is not plan B. The gospel is plan A for the salvation of mankind and for God's glory. And so we see the word gospel referenced in verse number 1. And then it says in verse number two, which he promised beforehand through his holy prophets in the holy scriptures. And so the believers in Rome, they were to be a combination of Jews and Gentiles. I think that in any church, it should be a reflection of the community that that church is in. We should not have a lot of divisions within the church or making different churches because of some, the color of someone's skin or someone's background. That's not a good reason. And they were blessed in so many ways in the New Testament churches in that they didn't have five other churches down the road to go to. They had to try to figure it out. That's why we learn about their problems so often. But the picture here is that the gospel is not plan B. I referenced earlier in my reading in the service, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 14 and 15, where Paul talks to Timothy and he says, you learned about this salvation through Jesus Christ in your understanding of the scriptures. And he didn't have John 3.16, did he? He didn't have that. He got that understanding of the Messiah and God's plan A from his understanding of the Old Testament. And one of the most colorful pictures of this, it's just beautiful, write down this reference, Luke 24, and go and read through the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus later on. I'm gonna give you just two verses in just a second. But let me remind us of it and paint you this colorful picture. By the way, in my Bible next to Luke 24, I have the word jealous written next to that verse, meaning I am jealous of something going on there. Not in a sinful way, don't judge me, you people. But 
Something's going on that I'm a little bit, I would have loved to have been there for. On the road to Emmaus, we know that there's a couple of followers of Christ. We have Cleopas and then one that is not named. And they've just come from Jerusalem. Christ has been killed. Their leader has been killed. They're confused. The disciples were scattered. And now they're leaving. And these two guys are traveling on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus Christ, he has now um, risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. A couple ladies went back and gave a report. And they didn't quite believe it. So these guys are really bummed out. And they are traveling, and along comes Jesus, and he comes along and walks along with them, but he's disguised. They, they did not know it was Jesus, but they're walking along, and they have some conversation. It's great to read the entire story. They kind of say to Jesus, not knowing who he is, are you the only person in the world that doesn't know what has just happened? That our Messiah has been killed? That's the question. And Jesus starts to talk to them. And the Bible says that Jesus goes all the way back to Moses. And he talks through God's plan A. All the way up to the death of the Messiah. Here's what he says in Luke uh, 24 verses 25 and 27. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken... And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So if I've got to pick a place to go back in time in the Bible somewhere, I've got a lot of them there in the top 25, right? But can you imagine just going and hearing this Bible lesson from Jesus Christ, not knowing it was Jesus? I mean, they hear this guy talk all the way back to Genesis 3.15 most likely, and going all the way up to the death of the Messiah and how this had to happen, and they're amazed. When they get to their destination, they're going to stop and turn in, and Jesus is going to go on. They say, you've got to stay with us. Well, eventually their eyes are open. They see that it was Jesus, and they hightailed it back to Jerusalem. Christ appears to them, and what Christ does is he teaches them, I have had a plan from the beginning. Now, keep in mind when I say this, the problem going on with the believers in Rome. Some of them were being asked to set aside some of their um, Jewish tradition, some of their lifestyle. Others were being asked to do things that they could not find anywhere in what, in what the apostles had told the church they were to be doing. So you've got two different groups that have two different thinking, and Jesus goes back to the beginning to say, I have had one plan from the beginning, and I still have one plan. This is plan A. Don't think that something happened when my people got taken into slavery and I lost track or when the kingdom divided. Don't think I'm not in control of these things. He walks them through the Hebrew scriptures and leads them through God's plan from the beginning. God's plan was always to prepare a way for his son. If we were to take time to go back and look at all the references in the Old Testament that point us to plan A, that point us to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the resurrection, you would not be pleased with the time we were spending in our series in Romans. It would take us extra months, maybe extra years to go over all those references. 
And yet sometimes there are some people who think that maybe they've got a better story than somebody else. They're a little bit different, maybe a little bit better. There are some who think their story is not as good as somebody else's. Kind of the old saying that I grew up with is a lot of people who were raised in church and never really strayed from the church, which is a wonderful blessing. Some of those people are jealous of the people who had the testimony that they got saved out of some kind of a horrific life. Maybe you're familiar with that. The kind of person who said, well, my testimony's kind of boring. I've always been in church. Wish I was a drug addict, you know. <laughs> some people have that thinking. And we do have a beautiful picture that God is so pleased with individuals that will grow up in a church setting in a Christian family and will never make a decision that they're going to turn their back on that and go and find what else is out there. God has a beautiful plan for their life. And equally as beautiful is the individual who has been as far away from God or morality by anybody's standards that you could put down, and then they have been saved from that lifestyle. They're both equally beautiful. No one who knows Jesus Christ has a boring testimony. Now, some might be more colorful than others. Some might sell more books than others. I understand that. But no one who has been saved by grace has a boring testimony because the sins of both those persons, whether it be the choir boy or the, the biker gang member, I'm going to get some letters about that one probably, both of them have equal sin in the eyes of God. So understand when we look to this, these believers in Rome, nobody is better than somebody else. And then as we come to our second point, first of all, we see the gospel is not plan B. Next, we see the gospel has a clear center. The gospel has a clear center. If you were asked today, what is the center of the gospel? I want to go ahead and give you the answer. This needs to be front and center on our hearts. If you were asked, what is the center of the gospel? The answer should not be, well, I've been born again. If you're asked what is the center of the gospel, the answer should not be, well, I've turned over a new leaf or I got baptized at this certain time. Understand, the center of the gospel is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. In verse number three, referring back to the gospel, it says, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, in our introduction to this book, I set us up with several interesting questions. And I said, all of these questions, I listed over 15, maybe over 20 questions that are very interesting, that are almost like rabbit trails. They're little side notes that we get because we're leading to how these people can solve their problem in the church. How can they figure out not to judge one another, that nobody's better than the other? One of the first questions that I listed is the question, is Jesus really God? And that's a question you might get asked today. People who are not followers of Jesus Christ likely do not believe that Jesus was really God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here we find a couple different words. We find here the phrase Son of God, implying that He is God. And we also find here that He's a descendant of David. Okay, class, how are we going to do with this one? 
Was Jesus God or was Jesus man? Which one was it? And the answer is both. Both. And the people who have not gone down this road before are saying, did he say what I think he said? How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense in our world. You're not going to be able to understand it, all right? If I take a glass and fill it up to 100%, it's 100% full, I can't put another 100% in it. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, that's one of my pet peeves. I hate it when people say 150%. That's impossible. Don't say that. But with God, all things are possible. He had to be 100% man in order to be a sufficient sacrifice. And he had to be 100% God in order to be a sufficient sacrifice. He took our sins on his shoulders and he was sufficient. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then verse 4 tells us that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus stepped forth from the tomb in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you study through the life of Christ, there are many who believe firmly that Christ took that power and he kind of turned it over to the Holy Spirit while he was here on this earth. And he would still be able to perform miracles and do things, but they were working together on that. It's so beautiful to study the life of Christ and see what he has done. Jesus Christ is the center to the gospel. We'll cover these last three points much more quickly. Number three, the gospel has a clear goal. The gospel has a clear goal. I'm using this word gospel, and I hope that it overflows into your life, where you use the word gospel all the time, not just to refer back to something in the past, but to refer to what's going on in your life right now. The gospel has a clear goal. What is that goal? Well, we see here that it is to produce the obedience of faith. Verse number five says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That is the goal. Remember, Paul's going to expand on all of these. And so a measuring stick for the gospel in your life is this, have I responded to this invitation to be born again? Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, of which I am and you are. Have you responded to his invitation to be born again, or have you been brought to the obedience of faith? This is also a good measuring stick when we talk about our gospel efforts. If you want to make a gospel effort in your life, The end goal of that gospel effort should be to bring people to the obedience of faith. In our church, as we have people join together to make make certain efforts towards evangelism, what should our goal be? This is a good measuring stick. Are we seeing a result of people getting saved? It's a wonderful test. The next thing that we see around the gospel, another spoke going off as the gospel, So number three, the gospel has a clear goal. Number four, the gospel has an intended audience. The gospel has an audience that it's supposed to be going to. And we see that there right again in verse number five, the second half. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among what? All nations. 
The gospel is for all nations. I don't have to push too hard on that one. I think many of us recognize that. But if you look at the wording in verses 6 and 7, it goes to all nations, but it's also very, very personal to the people at Rome, whether they be Jews, whether they be Gentiles. Including you, verse 6 says, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And can I camp out here just for a minute? I think that people in this world all around us are looking for a place to belong. There are so many people, even though they might have a thousand friends on their social media platform, even though they might be surrounded by hundreds of people, they might walk by thousands of people a day possibly. And yet so many people feel like they don't have a place to belong. And the devil loves to get success in taking the local church and making it a place where someone will come in, be there for a while, and they will say, you know, I just didn't feel like I belong there. And what do we do? We point the fingers, right? Well, that's their fault. No, that's their fault. The devil loves to get us to the place where it's like there's nowhere we belong. Some of you feel very much like you belong in this church family. You've been here for a long time. You've invested in it. You've been disappointed and hurt and still stuck through it. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like a family. People are looking for a place to belong. And as I mentioned earlier, it's the most unlikely group of people that God joins together. And I'm not going to say in all God's people said amen because people are going to think you're talking about them. It's the most unlikely group of people that God puts together. But if people that don't know Christ were to come and look and see the different backgrounds, the different stories, the different strengths, the different hurts, and then hear about, and then hear about the supernatural forgiveness that takes place because I recognize that God has forgiven me of so much that how can I for, not forgive that brother or that sister of so much less than I've been forgiven of? This builds a place of belonging. That's different. That's something nothing in the world has to offer. That's what God gives. And then when we look at that idea of belonging, that's why when somebody moves, we have somebody in our church family and they move to North Carolina. They can go to North Carolina They don't have to find a group of people exactly like you and me. They can go there and find an unusual group collected together, but they can feel like they belong. Why? Because what do they have in common? Jesus Christ. Even further than that, that's why somebody can leave this area, go on the other side of the world, to China, a communist country. And what can they find? They can find a place where they belong because they have Christ in common. Because God's plan A was to spread the gospel to all nations. So it might look different in a place, but you're going to find people who you have Christ in common with in most civilized countries. And if there is not that there, then we can start that church, and then you're a part of that wonderful plan of missions. And then quickly, the motivation of the gospel. Number five, the motivation of the gospel And it says right there in verse 5, for the sake of his name. 
Every detail of the gospel has to do with not building a great church, not having health and wealth, not happiness in this life. Every detail that has to do with the gospel has to do with bringing glory to God. We're going to see a lot of verses that are very familiar in the book of Romans. One of the most familiar verses that many of you have memorized is Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Where the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the law of God. Thank you for shaking your heads no. Some of you that have that memorized. I did not quote that correctly. Why don't you help me out? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's not so interested in us keeping the law. He's interested in his glory. We're going to want to do that with our lives. He's going to point us to that. All right, so what are we supposed to do with this? What can we do with this wonderful challenge? Well, first of all, determine that you will choose to be a lifelong servant of Christ. Do not let church be something that's on the outside spoke of your life. Allow Jesus Christ and your relationship with his bride, the bride of Christ, the church, allow that, allow that to be central. Allow that to be guiding you, directing you, not just something added to your life. The Apostle Paul says, I am a servant, a bondservant is the picture, chosen to let my life be about Jesus Christ. And you can choose that, and you cannot separate it from his church. You cannot separate it from the bride of Christ, local church. And then second, be a lifelong student of the gospel. Not just something in the past, but something every day. What does this mean? Yes, it saved me. I have security that I'll spend eternity in heaven. I'm glad about the past, about that decision. I'm glad about the future. But what about today? The gospel is to be driving our lives. As the Apostle Paul talks through these things, this is the introduction that he gives to this book. And he's going to go into more detail. It's going to be beautiful. He wants to say off the bat, this is my credibility. I started with that email that I got from, it was from American Express. Well, it was supposed to be from American Express anyway. I didn't buy it. None of you bought it either. Would you like to know what the very first tell to me was that it was a fake email? I mean, I saw the misspellings and I already have a red flag and never clicking on anything. But can anybody here, maybe in your mind, think what might be the very first thing that would made it obvious to me that this was a phony email? It's because I don't have an American Express card. I ain't got one. And so when they say, your account, you're in danger, click on this, it was obvious to me, well, there's no credibility in this at all. It could be that as we go through those seven verses and we talk about these really are very deep truths, we talk about these deep truths, you might think to yourself, I'm not quite getting all this. I'm not quite understanding all this. It could very well be that, if I can use this phrase, you don't have an account. You've never made that decision to come to Jesus Christ. Paul's going to go into beautiful detail of what our sin is, the wrath of God is because of sin, that Christ paid the price for your sin, and even on this day, this very day, you can pray and ask God to make you his son or his daughter. You can be obedient the obedience of faith is what Paul called it. And then as you grow 
And as you go through these things, the light bulbs will come on and you'll be growing and you'll be loving God and you'll be living life in a way that is not just for yourself. At the center is Jesus Christ and there'll be more than five spokes that will go out from that center. Everything that your life touches should lead somebody right back to your relationship with Christ. That is what will make a beautiful impact in this world. And that, when we return to that, is what will keep us loving the brothers and sisters that are around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we come to you, we understand that possibly we would have set this up differently. We would have had something else in place. I think so many people believe that a work salvation just makes sense, and in our side of heaven it does. But God, I thank you for this teaching that we're going to see later on that we could never be good enough to earn your favor. I praise you for the sacrifice of Christ. I thank you for what you have done so that we could have eternal life and fellowship with you, this wonderful ability to pray, but also so that we could have love for the brethren here in this world. I thank you for this beautiful introduction. I praise you that Paul was chosen by you, and I praise you that Paul chose to follow you. Would you allow us to be in both those categories as well? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to give you a chance to pray. As the piano plays through, I want to give you a chance. Whatever God might have laid on your heart today, it is common that we give you an invitation. If you've, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you, to make you his child, you can do that right at this moment. Based on the work of Christ on the cross and him conquering death and sin, you can ask for forgiveness and he'll forgive you of your sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe there's somewhere else, one of those spokes that you want to pray about. Take just a moment to talk to God.